Welcome to the New Books Network. I am together with Octavian Gabor again um, to discuss another book he has translated, Widely Released Letters and Poems from Prison by Valery Gafenko. Previously, we have discussed uh, his first translation from Romanian, uh, Pray for Brother Alexander by Konstantin Oika. Tavi, uh, as I like to call him, has translated several books now from Romanian into English. Uh, Most of them are accounts from people who have been imprisoned. Um, And I'll start by asking him uh, who have been imprisoned during communism. And I'll start by asking him what is the appeal and relevance of these books? for him, and also why does he think these books are relevant for an American or generally English-speaking or the public? Yes, thank you, and thank you for having me again. Uh, you're, you're right about the fact that many of the books I have, I've translated have to do with uh, prison literature, so to say, and um, uh, so the relevance for me comes from the fact that a few years ago, I started uh, teaching a course about suffering and forgiveness at Methodist College where where I work. And uh, the course concentrates on two periods of time in which uh, trauma has taken place, that is communist persecution and the Holocaust. So I I started reading quite a lot about uh, Romanians' experiences in prison during communism. And that's my personal appeal. Uh, How can they be relevant to an American audience? Um, What I would say is that the the first thing I would say is that those experiences say something about how a human being can deal with life in extraordinary circumstances and negative extraordinary circumstances. Uh, so what do you do in situation of crisis? The first book that you mentioned, Noika's Pray for Brother Alexander, was, I think, such an account. Uh, and this one is also a similar account. Probably the main difference between the two of them is that Noika survived prison. So he wrote his diary of prison uh, afterwards, so to say. While Gafenku did not survive prison, and all the writings we have in this book were writings that his colleagues remembered from him. And uh, the poems, for example, have the poems were for them occasions of maintaining dignity and humanity in a terrible context and um, an occasion for remembering who you are as a human being. And I think the moment when you read those writings, regardless of where you come from, uh, they can provide uh, hope uh, for any situations we are in. I think they are uh, really beautiful lilies, you know, white lilies, how the book is called, that can actually uh, come to life in the darkest circumstances. And uh, the Romanian political prisons, communist political prisons, were such dark circumstances. Uh, the experiences that uh, people went through are experiences that one can hardly imagine. Um, 
the persecutions were really hard to imagine that the human mind can think of something like that. And so I think this literature, prison literature in general, can offer can offer a uh, a door towards finding again what is beautiful inside human nature. It's beautiful and remains beautiful in spite of those dire and hellish circumstances, right? And yes. um, it, it also helps us understand what keeps us going, so to speak, or what keeps us, helps us overcome those uh, hellish circumstances or hellish situations that we hardly can imagine today anymore, right? And sometimes we need a reminder, right? Because we live in, in circumstances that are very, very different. And um, uh, situations of, of crisis like these, um, it's hard to say they're necessary, but they're a reminder of, of something about us and about what, it, what are the most important things. Um, now, it's interesting that um, the previous book we talked about by Noika, who is a philosopher, is a book which is not very religious, right? Although it, it bears the title, Pray. Uh, but it seems that Noika survived through what we generically can call spirituality, humanities, uh, humane relationships, right? But not something, no, Noika was not a religious person. Now, this book is a deeply religious book. Right, the language of Gafenku, who has been called the saint of the prisons, although he has not been canonized, but he has been referred to as the saint of the prisons, the Romanian prisons, during the Romanian gulag, um, which was at its height in the late 40s, 50s, and early 60s. Right, So Gafenku is deeply religious. So... Uh, we ask ourselves, are these alternatives? Can you survive through humanities or can you survive through religion? Or there is some type of intersection there. Uh, but what do you think? Because you've, you've immersed yourself in, in both. And I know you've translated other such accounts, which we will talk about briefly. Um, please. From my perspective, at least, and. Uh, for me, I have to say, first of all, it's always very difficult to talk about uh, those experiences in prison, primarily because they are things that we do not understand. And uh, it, it is almost like a holy land that you should not touch. Uh, you know, speaking about, uh, I know we both are familiar with the Pitesh phenomenon or all the other things in prison is almost uh, unthinkable even to think about and to so. Whatever I say uh, should not be taken as an expertise about prison literature or about prison experiences. But what I know from what I have read, let me put it this way, is that there is no uh, clear recipe. Uh, you cannot say that this is the way in which you will survive prison. Uh, what I know, however, is that the way of being of this, of this human, Valeriu Gafenku, seems to have been for others what kept them alive. 
what what kept their own humanity. Uh, you mentioned that he is referred to as the saint of prison, and uh, uh, this phrase comes from Nikolai Steinhardt. Uh, other people also talk about him in the same way, and they they often say that regardless of when you encountered uh, Gafenko, regardless of the moment in which you were, you could not remain the same after the encounter. And that is primarily because, uh, what they say at least, he expressed love through his entire being. And the moment in which you are embraced, uh, regardless of where you are, regardless of who you are, and without any kind of expectations uh, from you, it is impossible not to be touched. So uh, if I were to refer more specifically to your question, I think, first of all, any kind of uh, aspect that has to do with the word uh, can maintain who we are, that is, can maintain our human dignity. And whether the word comes from poetry or it comes from, uh, from sacred text, uh, I don't know if you, have, if you have ever visited Jilava, Jilava being one of the terrible prisons in Romania, if you go to those small rooms of uh, solitary confinement, you can see on the walls uh, written with probably, uh, I do not know, they probably have knives, whatever they wrote with, I do not know. You can see the verses from Psalm 51, uh, or you can see verses from other parts of, uh, of the Bible. So those things, I think, the connection they had with the word, uh, with... Uh, word capital, capital letter, right? Logos. I would say, yes, with the logos, yes. That kind of connection uh, can always um, provide at least the hope that you survive in prison. But, you know, Gafenko did not survive. So uh, we talk about someone who, who was uh, very religious, whose life seems to have been uh, dedicated to love. Uh, and nevertheless, he did not survive. Other people did survive and talk about him. Um, and but I don't think the question is whether you survive or not prison. I think the question is whether you remain a human or not in circumstances like that. And uh, remaining a human, that is, can, being able to continue, being able to embrace others, even if nobody embraces you is something that I cannot wrap my mind around <laughs> because, you know, we, we can uh, be very mean and uh, we can disregard others in uh, normal circumstances, forget about being in prison and being abused by others. But when other people look at you as if you are a criminal and you have done nothing um, and you respond to that by, with an embrace, that is, I would say, someone who is victorious, regardless of whether you die or not. And in, in Gafenko's life, um, or at least what we know about Gafenko from his writings and from uh, the writings of the people who knew him as a person, that's what I think we witness. Can you, maybe as a background a little bit, talk about his life? How, why he was imprisoned in uh, the end of first world, uh, of the Second World War, and maybe a little bit of the political cultural context of Romania uh, at that time. 
so we understand mm. where he's coming from a little bit. And then we'll mm. talk a little bit about his book uh, of the, or, or the contents of your translation. Yeah. Yes, of course. So uh, Gafenko was born in Romania, but in a part of Romania that is no longer part of Romania currently. So he, he was born in Bessarabia. Um, Bessarabia is now uh, uh, part of the Republic of Moldova. And uh, in 1940, after the secret pact between the Soviet Union and Germany, uh, the Soviet Union invaded Bessarabia. So Gafenko, together with his family, uh, went to Romania as refugees. The only person who did not go to Romania was his father, who, according to the accounts that I've read at least, he brought them to, to the border. And at, uh, and at that moment, he said, I have to go back because I cannot leave my people. But you have to take care of your family and so on. So uh, Gafenko uh, was a young gentleman, if I can say so, <laughs> at that time. Uh, I think he was 19 years old. And um, he came to Romania with his mother and his sisters. And in a, in a very difficult in a very difficult political context, as we all know, it was just before the beginning. I mean, the World War, World War II had already begun, and but Romania had not yet uh, was not part of the conflict yet. And in a period of turmoil, in which the youth of that generation probably considered that they have to make a choice uh, between uh, the Soviets, so to say, or between the communists, the the the, the red. Uh, the Red Plague, if I can call it this way. Yeah. And With uh, the ideology sort of there. An, correct, yes. And uh, uh, an idealism that had to do with rejecting the materialist of communism. And um, Gafenko was an idealist. Uh, in fact, even the accounts that we have about him before prison from his teachers in the university and so on, describe him as a young man who was an idealist. And I think at that time, uh, he uh, connected that idealism with uh, the hope that he can transform the world through political action. Uh, and he was part of Brotherhood of the Cross, um, a uh, cultural organization of uh, the Iron Guard, a cultural you, you organization uh, for youth, correct. Uh, yeah, right. Thank you very much for the youth. Uh, and the primary purpose of that organization uh, was to educate the youth religiously and uh, nationally, so to say. So with um, some of the ideals were that you have to love your country and uh, love God and so on. Um, in 19... Very much centered in the Orthodox Church, right? In the Orthodox The Brotherhood right? of the Cross, yes, yes, right. Um, mm -hmm. Now, the political movement, if you ask me, has, uh, has uh, I would say, corrupted uh, those ideals or denaturated uh, mm -hmm. those ideals. And prime, I think that's prime, that's always happens, actually, in, mm -hmm. from my perspective. The moment in which you move the religious into the political, you, mm -hmm. you get to terrible... Uh, mm -hmm. consequences. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. terrible consequences that we know already in the 20th century, we know how uh, uh, 
um, terrible consequences mm -hmm. of doing so were, in fact, anytime I think, anytime you love an idea more than you love a human being, mm -hmm. you are very close to becoming a murderer mm -hmm. or on the path of becoming a murderer. And most likely, uh, Valerio Gafenko was such a person at the beginning, as, as any idealist human beings are, I would say, you know, when you love ideas. And he was in prison uh, in 1941, mm -hmm. uh, at the age of 20. And he died in prison in 1952. Or 53, I think. Mm -hmm. 52, actually, yes. So at the age of 31, which means that he spent in prison more than a third of his life. So we talk about a human being whose, uh, whose adult life was in prison. Um, in prison, he seems to experience a uh, radical transformation. <laughs> Um, but when I say radical transformation, I'm not I'm not saying that he was changing to another human being. But I think what he does, and he talks about his the book uh, includes these experiences. He has a, a moment in which he acknowledges himself as being uh, the worst sinner, as he says. Uh, and the reason for that, as stated by him, is that he had forgotten love. Um, the result of that is that all people who encounter him talk about the love they experience in his being. So um, I think this book is primarily about a, a, a human who, first of all, believes he can change the world through ideas or to making ideas, uh, to political ideas, or to putting ideas in practice, to changing the world around him. And then he realizes that the only way in which you genuinely change the world is to change the world by changing yourself. Uh, and you change yourself by being ready to embrace all, regardless of where they come from, regardless of uh, what they may believe they represent at the moment or another in their lives. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, let me. You you write a beautiful introduction for the book, and um, um, and um, I may I want to cite a little bit from it. So and ask you to comment. Mm -hmm. And um, besides the introduction, I should say the book contains several letters by Valerio Gafenko, then poems, and then dialogues. Right, uh, and at the very at the very end, a guide for confession. Um, so, uh, page seventeen, uh, you you say here. We often say that people are victims when they encounter events that they do not deserve. Armed with a conception of justice that we uphold, we can even say that Jesus was unjustly murdered, and that his murderers deserve punishment or that communism destroyed life, and those who implemented a communist regime does deserve to be punished. We have become the knowers of God's justice, and we want to implement it everywhere around us. Um, 
we thus transform ourselves into observers of a world that we can judge. We no longer find it acceptable to just live as part of this world for which we are responsible and of which we are not the judge, forgetting thus that a shepherd does not judge his flock. Beautifully said. Uh, can you expound and explain a little bit what, and maybe connect it to his own life and ex to, to Gafengu's life and experience? Yeah, well, um, thank you for reading from it. So I mentioned, you know, the, uh, before that, Gafeng was an idealist, and the moment you are an idealist, you look at around around the the world around you, and you see that the world around you is not the way you think it should be, and uh, and you judge the world, and uh, judge you judge the world primarily on on moral criteria, uh, but to do so you have to separate yourself from the world, and you cannot see in the world. Or you cannot see the world as manifestations of your own sins or, or, or as manifestation of your own problems, so to say. What I think happened in Gafenko was precisely that. Gafenko uh, realized that he is not a victim and that anyone who is not content with whatever happens around him or around her is not a victim, but rather the victim is the beauty of the world of which I'm already a part. So uh, what happened to him, I think, was that uh, anytime he, had, he, he perceived the problem in the world, he did not perceive it as something that is outside of him, but something that uh, produces pain into his own body as if the world itself is part of his own body. And that if the world is the way it is, it is not because the world has done something uh, unworthy for him, but rather because the world has manifested in itself something that is already not well in me or in, in my own being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, what is that? Well, that is, the, that is lack of love. And in fact, judging the world or judging anyone else, actually judging any kind of behavior, judging any kind of uh, event is separating yourself from it. So it begins with separation. Any mm -hmm. kind of judgment uh, stops love. I know that we can all, we often can say, mm -hmm. well, I'm not judging, I'm just observing. Of course, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not someone who would say, well, we have to um, say that though everything is fine and all things like that. It's not about that. It's about the fact that the world itself, having those pains, so you observe those pains, you see those things that do not work, are there not because of a, of a moral judgment or not because of a moral attitude that has happened in the world, but rather because of a manifestation of something that is not already well in me. Uh, so my mm -hmm. lack of embracing the world the way it is. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I if I explain even better than yeah, what I yeah. just said. So it, it's a it's an attitude of radical responsibility, right? I mean, similar I would say to, so, yeah. to Solzhenitsyn's right that the, the axis of good and evil goes or crosses every human heart, mm -hmm. right? If I if I cite that correctly, or maybe something that we read, I think in one of the rabbis that whoever saves one soul saves the whole world or hurts 
right? So it's it's a radical uh, responsibility, uh, which is a it's it's a challenge and an ideal, right? It's something that it's very hard to live up to that ideal, definitely, and probably only a radical situation like being uh, like being in where Gafenko was can make you perceive that radical that radicality otherwise in our everyday life it's hard to get to that consciousness right it's hard to get to that consciousness but you encounter it in in other religions too for example in buddhism right it's this notion you you're either a healer or someone who is damaging or i encountered it for example in um, in camus plague you're either the one who spreads the germ or the plague, or you're the one healing. It, it's an either or. There are no other choices. It's a radical, radical choice in a way. And uh, and if you're not a healer, you're the other. You're spreading the the disease. And yeah, maybe that's the only thing I would say to this is that I think Rafenko's attitude goes even further than that. He cannot make any kind of judgment upon you whether you are uh, a healer or the one who spread the disease. The only way in which I can make the judgment is on my own, on my own being. I cannot judge you whether you are a healer or not. Yeah. So it's. But how do you? Okay. But how do you then? You are always my. You are always an occasion for me to be a healer. I cannot judge you whether you are a healer or not. If you are my persecutor, mm-hmm. I mean, clearly, you know, if you, if you talk about persecutors and the, uh, the prisoners, then you say, well, the good guys and the bad guys. Uh, for Gafenko, whether you are a brother in prison or a persecutor, either way, you are an occasion for me to repair the world as it is manifested in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't remember if I ever mentioned this to you. I, I once went, uh, I once saw a video with various people who survived uh, communist persecution. One of them was a pastor um, from a Protestant church. I, I don't remember exactly what church it was. And then he, he said something like that, if I remember correctly. Uh, suffering, you cannot understand. If you do not understand that the one who persecutes you is in a worse position than you are, then you have all lost your persecutor and you lost yourself as well. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand that the one who persecutes you is in such a bad state that he is able to actually persecute you. He is the victim. Mm-hmm. It's not you who are the victim. And mm-hmm. to, in order to understand that, you have to realize that he is someone who gives you the occasion to repair the world. Now, how do you repair the world? I'm not saying that oh, oh, you go to your persecutor, you embrace him, and then all of a sudden they uh, leave uh, prison and they go uh, as friends or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you never know how uh, something... I think the call is to be authentic. And the only way to be authentic with other human beings is to remember that you mentioned Solzhenitsyn, that the line between good and evil crosses every human heart. And uh, just the way in which uh, he may have lost himself, you can lose yourself at any moment too. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Dostoevsky, I think, talks about the same thing. And uh, Mitya Karamazov is uh, uh, 
one such character who talks about that. There is one, actually, I, I cite it in the introduction when he says that uh, uh, something about the human soul. If you give me a moment, I will find it. Oh, a human heart can be aglow with the perfection of the Madonna, and still he wants renounced Sodom. You know, so you can be uh, in hell at the same time and also uh, uh, behold Madonna. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, thank you. Uh, could you maybe uh, read one poem, both in Romanian and in English, so we get a little bit of the of, uh, a little bit of a sense of uh, his poetry that you have so I think beautifully translated. Of course. Uh, should I begin with Romanian first or English? Uh, yeah, let's do the Romanian first. Okay, so it's called Mina, the Mine. Un gând smerit și simplu, o lumină, spre tine se înalță lin din mină și sufletul înăprimat se roagă, o vină de păcate mă desleagă. Pe fruntea mea senină mâna-ți spune și cheamă-mă întâmpișor pe nume, cum ți-ai chemat prietenul din groapă, te rog Iisus să dăm un pic de apă. Dăm pâine, apă vie dăm din viță, să simt pulsând viața în mlădiță, din mila ta dăm inimă curată și fața ta divină ți-o arată, În ceasul fericitei mele despărțiri, de lumea aspei noastre privegiri. Iisuse, Doamne, vină în zori, te cheamă cei din închisori, o vină, mina luminează, pe noi ne binecuvântează. I will read now in English, the mind. Mm -hmm. A humble, simple thought, a gladsome light, from our minds rises to you in flight. A soul that bathes in tears, slowly prays, O come, so that my sins from me you raise, that on my tranquil forehead place your hand and gently call my name toward your land. Just as you called your friend out of the grave, oh Jesus, give me water, please, I pray. And bread and living water from the vine to fill life in my branches as a sign. And in your mercy, give me a clean heart, the hour when I joyfully depart from our world of bitter wandering, may me a witness of your face shining. Jesus, Lord, to us, please come at dawn. Prisoners call you before they are gone. O come unto this mind, give light, and bless us all with all your might. Thank you. Those poems, uh, I think I mentioned, but let me let me actually repeat it. Those poems were written by Gafenko without pencil and paper, because I didn't have something like that in prison. He composed them in his mind, and uh, he shared them with his uh, fellow prisoners. And they remember them, and uh, we have them because some of them wrote them after they came out of prison. Uh, apparently, he composed 16 such poems. There are only eight in these books, in this book, and I, uh, I only translated the books that were published in one of Yon Yanolida's book, who was uh, his main friend, I would say. There are other poems circulating on the internet but um you know i do not know how reliable they are um so thank you for translating so many of these books i know you have also translated a book by uh, arsenia boca and now you're in the process of finishing another book by nicolae porcaria um because i think a lot of these the uh, the experience of the gulag is not so well known in the west right and 
for some reason, communism is not so uh, well understood. It's sometimes people have a positive understanding of communism um, and they say, well, it could really be applied. And if, if Marxism is applied correctly, maybe it can work out. It has some so beautiful ideals. And those of us who have been part of this quote-unquote experiment uh, realize that, in fact, it is evil and that it is equally evil as Nazism and fascism. Right. Uh, nevertheless, in the West, unfortunately, this is not so clear. And uh, especially in American academia, people are still beholden to Marxist communist ideal, ideas and ideals. And sometimes it's considered cool and exotic. Um, and the witnesses about the gulag, all the various gulags, are important to remind us that we, this is not the case, that this is, in fact, an evil, devilish system. And that's why I think I, I commend you and I applaud you for taking the time and translating these witnesses. Uh, one of the most gruesome and worst experiments when it comes to huge, to exploitation and oppression is the one which has been done at the prison in Pitesht in Romania. And uh, although Gafenko was not part of it, maybe it's worth talking about it briefly. Uh, sure. So thank you, first of all. And uh, let, me, let me just say, before I talk about uh, Pitesht, let me just say a few words about what you said before that. Uh, all the translations I did were, in my case, uh, occasions to which I could not say no. That is, I have never seen myself as a translator, but uh, they they just appear before me and I could not say no. So I, I don't feel as if I have done anything spectacular in any way. And at the same time, uh, while it is true that many people here in the US are not very familiar with the Gulag, um, it's also true that in recent years, there have been many historians, and I'm not a historian, who have uh, taken on uh, studying the Gulag. And that's especially in Europe, in Great Britain, for example, in Italy, there are plenty of scholars who, who translate the work uh, from uh, oral history, that is, you know, so people who have experienced the Gulag, but especially, it is true, especially the Gulag of the Soviet Union. Maybe there are not so many accounts of what have, have, what have happened in Romania, but nevertheless, uh, in recent years, there have been uh, many scholarly approaches in studying communism. Uh, but again, especially from what I know, at least, especially in Europe, in Great Britain and uh, Italy and so on. Um, as for Pitesh, uh, Pitesh is indeed an, uh, an, a moment in, uh, in uh, communist persecution that is clearly hard to understand because it defies reason and uh, it is gruesome and anytime I read accounts about Pitesh I feel as I 
should no longer touch the subject for, for, for a long period of time. What happened in Pitesh was, uh, according to what I've read, uh, an experiment to change the soul of a human being. Uh, as many historians say, anytime communism comes into a place, because they have to change the entire structure of the society, they have to somehow uh, eliminate part of the society so they can restructure it. So, for example, I, I, I remember a Russian historian saying, I don't remember now the name, that 10% of the population has to disappear to go either in prison or to be eliminated by that. And because you cannot change, you cannot you know, eliminate the entire society, you have to do something with, with various generations. And in Pitesh, what they tried to do is to change the young generation, which was described by some as being the generation of transmission of the values from the old generation to the new generation. You know, the old people die, and the young people, you, the young, the youth, you can uh, raise according to the values you want to raise. Well, what do you do with a 20 years old who have been raised? in certain values, who have adopted certain values and who are at the same time idealists, like for example, Gafenko was. So in Pitesh, um, they uh, tried to uh, change a human soul. How did they do that? They took a group of prisoners and they promised to them that they would release them as long as they succeed in re-educating their colleagues. And the re-education took place in four stages. Uh, it, it always began with physical violence. Uh, it continued with psychological violence. You had to uh, say everything you knew about uh, your friends. You had to say uh, blasphemies against your God and against your family. And then the final proof uh, that would show that you would be re-educated was to uh, beat your best friend, uh, you know, to take your best friend and to put him through re-education. The re-education, because it was done by prisoners, um, so they were, you know, prisoners against prisoners. So the the main the first the first change was that you were in the cell with your persecutor at all times. Uh, outside of PTA, so to say, outside of the education, you were going to persecution, you were going to the interrogations, you were beaten, you were um, persecuted in various ways, but then you were coming back to your cell and had a moment of, uh, of, uh, of uh, you had a, a break from persecution, but in Pitesh, there was no such thing. Uh, uh, Gafenko was not in Pitesh. Yonian Nolide, his friend, actually says that uh, his gentle soul would not have been able to, to, to go through to the horrible experiment that Pitesh was. Now, uh, I, I think all of this has to do with what we discussed before. And, and I think I mentioned that the moment in which you fall in love with an idea, you are uh, one step closer to being a murderer. And but the problem with communism is precisely that, that they put, I mean, not only that, but clearly one of the problems is that they put up, uh, they put above all things ideas, the idea of equality, for example. Well, uh, if, if equality is that which you have to follow, 
um, what are you willing to do to make all people equal? And what are you willing to do to make all people equal at all times? How can you force them to all stay at the same line at all times and so on? Um, I do not know whether, I, I do not know, I know, I strongly believe that it is impossible to apply communism in any other way than it was applied in the communist countries that we know about. I'm not talking about uh, social policies, obviously. You can apply social policies all the time. Uh, but a government uh, constructed on communist ideas can only become murderous, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. And regarding Pitesh, I know, do we know how many people gave in and how many actually resisted this? Uh, this is a, such a I difficult know, question. But I, this from is what a I remember. Question, you know why? Go ahead, sorry. No, no, why is it that difficult? Because it feels like it divides people into people who resisted and people who, people who gave in and people who did not give in. Um, I think I heard once Father Roman Braga, who was in Pitesht, who said that everybody who was in Pitesht had some sort of, of uh, compromise. Um, because the Even if they gave in, some people recovered afterwards, some people did not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the question that raises for me, and that's connected to what we talked earlier, uh, this issue of uh, radical responsibility uh, and, and what the question that, that is raised is how do you move from being radical responsible to becoming a coward <laughs> right and it, it, it's and this is a question that I'm asking in the current context uh, where it seems we are under the plague of a radical conformism or pre we pretend to conform to, to all kinds of pressures. And, you know, and we, we've been through that. We remember the famous greengrocer in Václav Havel's Power of the Powerless, right? Why does the greengrocer post uh, uh, a political message in the window, you know, workers in the world unite, right? And why do people today uh, parrot and repeat certain things that they do not believe in? And, uh, so I'm trying to understand how is it possible to live a life of responsibility and dignity where when all kinds of pressures are real, and then we see that most of the people give in to those pressures, right? That that what Gafenko is talking about, this radical responsibility of, is actually not very common, right? <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, it's very hard for me to talk about this. Honestly, it's very hard. Primarily because uh, I do not know. But what I would say is that uh, we, are we are covered because of fear primarily, right? So we, we do not know what kind of consequences we would have if we were not powered. But to, to get to radical responsibility, I think it's still out of fear, but it's a different kind of fear. It's the fear of losing myself. It's what, in, in, in our day-to-day -day life, the first fear wins primarily, but there are moments in life when 
when you get to a point in which you say, uh, I can lose myself if I do that. And it's still a certain fear. It's a different kind of fear. It's an existential fear, I would say. It's not, the, mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. the fear that I suffer uh, something at work or something something mm -hmm. physical. It's the, the fear that I am no longer who I am to be, a human being. Mm -hmm. uh, and at that moment, uh, maybe you, you respond with radical responsibility. I, I, I once heard someone saying something like that, that those people whom... Uh, we consider heroes during during communism because they either went on the, in the mountains and fought against communism or they responded uh, in a way that is not rational because you know and i'm talking about rationality in the sense in which we want to uh, defend ourselves we it's not rational to give to someone else when you have nothing you know in that kind of rationality those people were actually normal human beings like you and i and like everybody else who who uh, reacted in an extraordinary way to extraordinary circumstances. Um, but other than that, they were human beings like uh, you and I, or human beings who, you know, maybe loved, uh, maybe enjoyed things, maybe would have loved to watch a soccer game if that was their passion, <laughs> or uh, maybe they would have loved to go and have a drink with their friends and so on. But the moment in which the extraordinary circumstance came, they responded in a way that was extraordinary. And I think the resource for all of them was this, the fear to not lose who they were, human beings. Before we end, uh, I'll ask you to read another poem, and maybe uh, the poem Dar, or give, A Gift, pay on uh, page 54. Right, well, this one. So I will read the Romanian first and then I will go to the English. Frate dragă din grădină, strimit în dar un crin, să-ți mângâie blând privirea cu veșmântul lui Virgin. Floare de albă, floare albă, cât de mult aș da și eu, îmbrăcat în hainați albă să mă duc la Dumnezeu. Răsădit acolo sus, în grădina minunată, să-mi simt viața îmbălsămată cu iubirea lui Isus. Plâng înăbușită noapte și suspin cu glasul stins, so the English now, a gift. As a gift, I send the lily, dear brother from the garden. It would, give me, it would give your eyes some comfort with its pure, virginal garment. Dear white, beloved flower, how I'd wish that I could go, all embraced by your clean costume to my father, white as snow. Seedling thus would I become in the most wonderful garden, and my life would have as warden Jesus' love from where I come. In the night I cry all muffled and a sigh with and I sigh with my faint voice. Give to me the wedding garment with white lilies, I rejoice. Beautiful. Thank you, Tavi. And uh, we await your uh, future translations. Please keep doing this. Thank you.